Good afternoon, I'm John Falchicchio, Deputy Mayor for Planning and Economic Development. On behalf of Mayor Bowser, I want to welcome you to uh, Demhead's re excuse me, Recovery Weekly Check-In. I uh, got a little tongue-tied there. Uh, today, we're actually going to have a very important discussion uh, as we uh, continue with Black History Month about racial equity, uh, both what we're doing inside the government and with our partners outside the government in order to overcome the systematic racism and injustices uh, that have plagued us for too long. Uh, and so we've got some important partners with us here today, and I want to get right to it and bring in one of our partners. Uh, as you know, the mayor has really uh, pushed hard to make sure that throughout the pandemic, we were doing all that we could to support our local businesses. Uh, and one of our partners in that work is the council member from Ward 5, who also chairs the uh, Committee on Economic Development. And we wanted to bring him into the conversation and talk to us a little bit about what he's worked on on the council in order to advance equity. Uh, so with that, I'll go to Councilmember Kenya McDuffie. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks to you, uh, Deputy Mayor Fraudchikio, as well as to Mayor Bowser uh, and the team uh, at DIRT uh, for inviting me to participate in today's recovery conversation. Uh, I'm especially uh, pleased to be on this panel with uh, Director Tim White, Dr. Andre Perry, Rosen Island Herring, and my girlfriend, Corey Griffin. Um, as many of the folks who, who are viewing this know well, uh, there are many pressing economic and equity issues that must be addressed in our city, and I appreciate the opportunity to, to really discuss these with you all today. Uh, as the Deputy Mayor mentioned, I'm Kenya McDuffie. I represent Ward 5 on the Council of District of Columbia and also the Council's Chair Pro Tem. Uh, and importantly, I'm the committee, uh, the Chair of the Committee on Business and Economic Development. Uh, I've been in, uh, on the Council since 2012, and, and I've been in Washingtonian my entire life. Uh, there are some significant racial disparities here uh, in the city uh, that really permeate every indicator for success, uh, including in healthcare, housing, education, criminal justice system, uh, and importantly, economic opportunities. And so these issues aren't new, uh, and by some metrics, they, they, they aren't getting much better. Uh, today in D.C., a, a white family has a media network 81 times larger than that of a black family. Uh, we have one of the, the, the largest wealth racial wealth gaps in the country. Uh, and this pre-pandemic was an extremely strong fiscal position that we had in the District of Columbia with a $3 billion budget surplus, record low unemployment, widespread economic development, and things were looking really, really solid. And, and yet black residents uh, own less than 14% of the district's businesses and aren't uh, really sharing as much in the prosperity. And so this conversation is, is so important that we're having today. Uh, one of the lessons that I hope that people are learning as we celebrate Back to History Month is that really centuries of slavery, segregation, government-sponsored discrimination prevented black Americans from accessing the same economic and wealth-building opportunities that others enjoyed. Uh, and I've been really working hard to advance racial equity legislation and will continue to do so and really prioritize targeted economic investments in black communities during the upcoming budget season at the council. Uh, last year, the council unanimously passed the Racial Equity Achieved Results Act and launched the new Council Office on Racial Equity in January. Uh, the REACH Act is a comprehensive measure that will ensure our work is intentionally 
more equitable moving forward. The new council office is going to score legislation for its impact on racial equity and provide a framework we need to address systemic racism in our government. The legislation also creates an office of racial equity for the executive branch, uh, and I was excited to see uh, Mayor Bowser announce the search for her chief equity officer a few weeks ago, and so I look forward to seeing this new office launch in the future. Uh, I recently worked with Mayor Bowser and Deputy Mayor Fauciccio to introduce a new priority status designation for equity impact enterprises, which are locally-based small businesses that are owned by people from socially disadvantaged backgrounds. Uh, some of the new requests for proposals for development projects in the city are already using this new designation, which prioritizes equity impact enterprises on certain contracts. And thanks to uh, this action, more minority-owned businesses hopefully will be able to share in the district's prosperity and access procurement opportunities. Uh, last budget cycle, we created an equity impact fund that provides access to capital for economically and socially disadvantaged businesses. We also funded a disparity study, and I know that the deputy mayor is working hard with his team, uh, and we want that uh, provide a data-driven evidence needed to establish public policy goals uh, that are going to help and benefit black and brown people and, and, and entrepreneurs in their request for equitable contract procurement opportunities. Another area I want uh, to see DC make some progress on is, is supporting minority-owned banks uh, that are more likely to lend to diverse business owners. And in the fiscal year 21 budget, uh, with the support of the council, uh, we made a, a $1 million investment uh, in uh, the first, one of the only district chartered banks that we have uh, in the city, uh, and, and we're soon to, to see hopefully the benefits of that effort. Uh, there are two final items, uh, if I could briefly highlight, uh, with the fiscal year 21 budget. First, we secured $200,000 in recurring funds for the D.C. Anchor Partnership Program, which focuses on increasing procurement opportunities for D.C.-based minority-owned businesses, uh, and it's operated through CNHED with the support of the Deputy Mayor's Office uh, and Anchor Institute throughout the District of Columbia, including uh, some of our hospitals and universities. Uh, second, we won uh, $3 million for investment to support the advancement and preservation of go-go music, history, and culture as well. And these, these measures expand economic opportunities for our local uh, entrepreneurs and help us retain the district's uh, homegrown genre and its cultural identity. Um, in January, I reintroduced a reparations bill that's going to create, uh, if passed, a reparations foundation fund to really explore uh, some of the concerns and the history around uh, the uh, chattel slavery in our country and in the District of Columbia and what opportunities there may be to advance that. Uh, and moving forward, I'm focused on eliminating the racial wealth gap by passing policies, expanding programs, and providing resources that really lift up underserved communities uh, and try to fundamentally change the structures and institutions that have led us to this moment in time where significant racial inequities persist in the nation's capital. And so I really appreciate, again, this opportunity to be with you all uh, this evening, and I look forward to this uh, conversation. Thank you. Well, thank you, Councilmember. And we've got folks uh, watching on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Channel 16, on mayor.dc.gov slash live. So if you're on social media uh, and you want to join the conversation, have any questions, Councilmember, I thought of a couple questions uh, for you that we'll come back to you on. Uh, but uh, if you use the hashtag DC Hope, it'll allow us to see uh, the questions on Twitter or in the Facebook chat. Uh, and then if you're on the phone line, uh, you could actually press zero and that will get you queued into the conversation. Uh, and we're going to bring Councilmember McDuffie back into the conversation in a bit. 
but next up, we have uh, Dr. Andre Perry, uh, who is at the Brookings Institution, and he's going to tell us a little bit about uh, the work that he has done. Uh, he's the author of a new book called Know Your Price. He joined us last year at the beginning of the pandemic to talk about how we have to focus on equity uh, as we uh, navigated through the pandemic. And as you know, uh, DC Hope actually, Hope stands for Health, Opportunity, Prosperity, and Equity. Uh, so Dr. Perry, want to hear a little bit about your work and how uh, we can improve in our work on equity. So with that, I'll turn to you. Well, thank you for that introduction. I want to thank Mayor Bowser and Councilperson McDuffie for their um, uh, tireless work in this, in this area. As we know um, from this summer, that um, we have work to do in business development, home ownership, and, and other areas of wealth development is certainly needed. But I want to begin my presentation uh, with by acknowledging what day this is. This is Mardi Gras Day, and for those <laughs> who are from the Caribbean or who lived in New Orleans uh, like I did for so long, um, happy Carnival, happy Mardi Gras um, for, for everyone out there. You know, so, Dr. Perry, Dr. Yeah, Perry, I don't want to interrupt you, but you were already winning Room Raider with those pillows behind you. Now you're one-upping us with the, with the bees as well. You know, I, I'm trying to represent the culture. Culture is an asset. We, all, we talk about so many different assets and what to invest in, but we need to invest in our culture. In my book, Know Your Price, I talk about investing in GoGo um, -Go because GoGo -Go is investing in us. And then, so it's only right for us to return the uh, favor by making sure those entrepreneurs in GoGo um, in -Go are, um, are properly compensated and invested in. But um, this is an issue that's near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, for the descendants of enslaved Africans in the United States, entrepreneurship represents more than just owning a business and pursuing the proverbial American dream. Instead, it's the ability for black people to participate in local, regional, and global markets. Um, it represents a dream deferred by systemic racism and discrimination. We were once owned. So a measure of our progression in society is, is how much do we own. And so I'm going to actually um, delve into a, a lot of this data. Now, um, a lot of people know me and my work from um, housing and business. Well, I typically start off by talking about housing because most people start their businesses using the equity in their home. And we know across the region, black home ownership across the country is down with the exception of, of black millennials. They're, they're looking up across the, the country. But home ownership is down and the value of homes in black neighborhoods are down. Across the country, um, the average loss is about um, um, difference between black homes and, or homes in black neighborhoods where the share of the black population is greater than 50% is 23% is less or 48,000 less than their, than their neighborhoods where the, the share of the black population is less than a percent. And that's after controlling for education, crime, walkability. That's, um, but in, in the D.C. metro in particular, there's a 15% 15, 15 difference between homes in, in black neighborhoods, um, equ equating to about a $48,000 difference 
between homes in black neighborhoods and homes in white neighborhoods in the D.C. metro. So one of the reasons why we have fewer businesses overall is because we're getting less value from our homes. And whenever we see any declines in home ownership, you're going to probably see declines in business ownership. So um, I, I say that to say we still need to work talk about housing. I'm going to talk about business, but we, we always have to talk about housing as well. But to start, I'm going to ask um, the team to put up my, uh, some slides because I want to show you that if we invest in black businesses, we're actually investing in the entire uh, um, regional economy. So if you could put up those slides for me. So, and we have uh, in D.C. black businesses are up underrepresented. That's the first slide okay, I see up. Uh, that's the first one. First one. Thank you. So, in, in the D.C. metro, not D.C. because we know that percentage is higher in D.C. But the D.C. metropolitan area, black people make up 27 percent of the region, but black businesses are only six percent of the 110,000 employer businesses, meaning businesses with more than one employee. Now, if we were to reach parity, meaning if um, black businesses were the equivalent of the black population, we would add third, or essentially 32,000 more black businesses in the region. Next slide, please. Now, currently, black businesses bring in an average yearly revenue in the region of about $1.7 million a year compared to non-black businesses that bring in $7.7 million a year. If black businesses increase their um, average re wage revenue to that of non-black businesses, we would increase the total revenue by those businesses by $41 billion, $41 billion added to the economy. Next slide, please. Now, um, we know that black businesses generate jobs, um, but on average, they, um, they level out about 13 jobs per firm compared to 24 for non-black businesses. If, if we reach parity in those regards, we would add 80,000 more jobs to the regional economy. Next slide, please. Now, on regards to pay, again, um, black businesses pay their employees an average about 44000 in the region. If they reached uh, what non-black businesses pay, we would see an increase in pay, putting $1.7 billion in people's pockets, $1.7 billion. Now, um, next slide, please. Um, if black businesses were the equivalent of the black population and increased their employment to the level of non-black businesses, they would create more than or, or close to 900,000 jobs in the, region, in the region. So this is a big boom, a big opportunity to create more employer businesses, meaning we need more businesses with more than one employee. Now, next slide. Um, 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 please. Now, we know that most businesses are sole proprietorship. So if we're going to convert 
those, um, if we're going to reach that goal, we're going to have to convert a lot of these sole proprietorships. There are 150,000 black sole proprietorships in the region, and they bring in a total of, of $3 billion. If this revenue of black entrepreneurs were to be leveraged, it would be possible to grow the pool of potential black businesses. You know, so we have got to turn these sole proprietorships into employer businesses. And, 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 and where should we do that? You know, currently, most black businesses are in um, certain areas. We're in laundry services, transportation services. We're not in the high-growth revenue-generating um, streams of manufacturing, of, of utility, certain tech sectors. And so as we're thinking about investing in black businesses, we should not just pick any black businesses. I just want to throw out a stat to you. There are only 18, only 18 um, of black-owned businesses in new utility, only 18 in one of the highest-grossing revenue streams, employers in the country in the utilities, only 18 in that sector. And so we need to be clear that we should not just create funds and invest in black businesses um, in general. And, what, and that's what we're seeing across the country, companies spreading these funds like peanut butter over a large area of land. We need to target it to businesses that will employ more people, that will serve government and, um, and private industry, and, and also um, crack the ceiling of these um, um, high-growth uh, revenue-generating um, fields. Um, so I'm going to um, end, the, end the slide deck, but the, the, I wanted to present that to you. Um, I didn't want to show a, a bunch of disparities. I really wanted to show the opportunity. That there's this notion that if we invest in black people, that we're somehow taking away from white folks. No, I study underappreciated assets, meaning if you just add water, it will grow. Now, the underappreciated asset in our community, in the DMV, um, is black business. And so when we invest in black business and we see growth, the entire pie increases. And that's our opportunity to say, hey, Let's support black businesses, and at the same time, let's support regional growth. So I'm going to end it there, and I'm looking forward um, to, um, to a conversation. Well, thank you for that. And uh, really, uh, I saw a lot of head nodding uh, as you were going through the statistics. So I, I want to get uh, to the conversation very quickly, but I also want to bring in Tim White, uh, who's the Director of Equitable Development. Uh, in DEMPED to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in DEMPED specifically uh, to enhance equity. Thank you, Deputy Mayor. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. I am Tim White. I'm the Director of Equitable Development, as Deputy Mayor just said. Uh, and today I will provide a, a few updates around what DEMPED has been doing towards uh, working for food access, as well as an update on the Equity RFP initiative uh, that was launched, launched this past summer. And so, Starting with the with food access in Washington D.C., improving food access is improving uh, racial equity, uh, and Mayor Bowser has continued to make resolving this a priority. 
And DEMPED has had the opportunity to lead and participate in many uh, interagency efforts uh, that have gotten us to this point. And so Ward 7 and 8 will double the number of full-service grocery stores uh, that are in it in the next 18 months. Um, they will be adding three new grocery stores by next summer. Um, you all, Many of you saw last week with Mookie's Market uh, that will be opening in Ward 7, Good Foods Market that will be opening in Ward 8 in Bellevue, uh, and Lidl that will open at Safeway uh, next year. Uh, also, uh, DHS announced last year that the partnership with Amazon, that Snap Delivery, uh, would be um, would be rolling out online um, in partnership with Amazon uh, through the pandemic. Um, also, Abra recently announced that, or re recently worked on legislation that was introduced that will offer incentives to to grocery stores opening in Ward 7 8 using their licensing process. Uh, last week, also, Nourish DC was announced. Uh, and the big thing with Nourish DC is that it will drive us to have more, to develop more locally homegrown small businesses that, that are in the food service industry. Uh, and one that is a personal, uh, uh, one that I'm personally excited about, uh, as Dr. Perry was talking about data and talking about uh, appreciating the asset, um, using data to attract, uh, for tenant attraction east of the river. Uh, for to tell the real story of our community. Uh, significant parts of Ward 7 and 8 are considered low-income and low-access areas by USDA. Uh, and as many know, Ward 7 and 8 are majority African-American at 92 and 89 percent. And while the USDA standard uh, says one thing about our neighborhoods in terms of income, our research has found that our neighborhood spent over $570 million in 2018 on groceries with three stores. And so information like that is what we will continue to work and dig into to where when we have conversations with grocery stores, they don't use the, the traditional factors to tell the story about a community that are about household income and, and degree level. And so we look forward to continuing that effort. Next slide. And so the equity RFP update. Um, many of you all were participating, saw the August, uh, I believe, 4th uh, update that talked about this announcement. Uh, and, and we shared that on July 15th, the mayor announced a new strategy that would enhance equity to, to make uh, DC's prosperity more inclusive using an in, in equity inclusion prioritization uh, that we added to our uh, request for proposals or RFPs at DEMPED. Uh, and just as a recap for folks, the DEMPED is prioritizing proposals that maximize by percentage of ownership and control entities designated as disadvantaged enterprises or DDEs and resident owned businesses uh, or entities including nonprofits and community institutions led by or controlled by individuals designated as socially disadvantaged under the SBA, uh, the Small Business Administration or SBA definition. And so our first RFP uh, with the equity RFP was the Langston and Slater schools. Uh, those schools were constructed in 1891 and 1902 for African-American students. Uh, and we're excited to, to say that the development community responded very well to that RFP, and we received 10 proposals uh, that presented to the community last week. Uh, so we look forward to moving this project along. Next slide. And so what's next? Uh, what's, what's next is we have three uh, solicitations that are still underway, uh, along with Langston Slater. Uh, they are the Malcolm X School, uh, Reeves Center, and Hill East. And we will be working to, to, to make this 
this to improve this process and and learn from the lessons from these different uh, projects. And so one of the things that we've already learned that we that many of us know working in the community is that consistency is what everyone asks for. And and typically when we talk about in this space, we talk about businesses. Uh, but if the community um, has asked for consistency, they appreciate uh, this this equitable RFP that is taking place. They appreciate that the community uh, is seeing that the businesses that look like them are being a part of the process. And so I was super excited that the mayor and deputy mayor have made sure that this is going to be something that, that sticks around. And so what we'll be working to do is look at the numbers and find out who's applying, who's not applying, um, how we improve this. And, and we will be asking those questions and examining it and trying to make it better and working with the community and obviously Councilmember McDuffie's office uh, to get that done. Great. Well, thank you, Tim, uh, for that presentation. Uh, more work ahead, uh, but glad to uh, have you next to us as we uh, push forward uh, on this. I want to bring in uh, two more of our guests uh, who joined us today uh, to give their perspective on this work uh, and the importance of this work. So I want to bring in first uh, uh, Rosie Allen Herring, uh, who is the president and CEO of the United Way of the National Capital Area, as well as uh, Corey Griffin, uh, who's a business owner and a founding board member of the Greater Washington Black Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and they're two of my favorite people, but I got to say one is more favorite than the other. So with that, Rosie, uh, if you could tell us a little bit about some of the work that you've been doing, because uh, you mix both business and philanthropy in order to advance equity. Uh, so if you could tell us a little bit about some of that work. Thank you so much, Deputy Mayor. And I certainly thank you and Mayor Bowser for your leadership and what you continue to do every day on behalf of the citizens of the District of Columbia. Your United Way of the National Capital Area is truly proud to not only serve uh, this region, and we do it with a level of philanthropy, but also um, by bringing economic development to, to the table as well. Uh, for me, my background, it really is not just philanthropy. Having come to United Way now seven years ago, I spent 21 years previously um, with uh, Fannie Mae. So when I saw Mr. White talk about the economic development piece and certainly the housing, uh, he was speaking to my spirit there because we recognize that that is the absolute way that we build our communities back. So when we think about equity and, and what your United Way has been doing over the past now seven years uh, since my tenure, it's really been about rebranding and transformation. And where we find ourselves in this moment, certainly no one saw COVID coming. We didn't have that crystal ball. And when we found ourselves in the moment, we certainly could not have anticipated that it would last as long as it has. But at, at the end of the day, we look at the work that we've been doing around education, financial stability, and health. Those are our three key areas where we put a lot of the focus and a lot of the investment. One of those areas is what we call our community commitment. And that was a five-year effort uh, where we committed to invest $12.3 million in supporting many of our middle school students, certainly health-related issues for many of those young families, as well as looking at economic development, and we launched our financial empowerment centers. And we now have, um, we are about to open our fifth financial empowerment center for this entire region. And so in looking at that, it's really about bringing the resources to the people and meeting them where they are. And, and we're very proud of the work that we've been able to serve over, over 10,000 individuals and certainly getting to over 100,000 individuals who are either unbanked, underbanked, and having access to mainstream services uh, to get them away from the trends that, that typically keep many in our community in that cycle of poverty. 
We have now launched that five-year commitment, Deputy Mayor, um, ended June 30th of 2020, right in the middle of the pandemic. But July 1st of 2020, we launched our next five-year commitment, which is a $15 million uh, investment that we've committed over the next five years to ensure uh, that we bring that to bear. And, and in doing so, while at the same time, when we found ourselves in the crisis, your United Way certainly was able to pivot quickly to launch or relaunch our emergency assistance fund during COVID, where we were there to help many of our families. And just in a short period of time of about uh, really two months, we, we, we were able to distribute over $2 million uh, to families for emergency services that ranged from food insecurity. Certainly, as time went on, we were able to understand that many of our children did not have access to nutritious meals because they weren't in school. And now we're, of course, coming up almost a year where many of our children uh, haven't had the formal instruction. They haven't been in a formal learning environment. Uh, and we know the detriment that that has to their ability to learn. And never mind that there were challenges there uh, before crisis even evolved, before COVID even came. There were many of the, the challenges that existed in our community. I'd like to believe that basically COVID simply exacerbated those existing uh, challenges that were in our community. We will continue to do the work that we've been doing. And a part of that second five-year commitment is what we call Stand for Equity. It is your United Way putting a stake in the ground, calling it what it is, and ensuring that we bring all of the resources to the table in terms of looking at uh, what equity means when it comes to education for many of our students, many of them in challenging environments and in challenging communities, but have the capacity and the ability certainly to learn and to thrive. We certainly will continue to look at economic development issues where we want to see many of our small businesses thrive. We want to ensure that, that we give access to VITA services, earned income tax credit services, um, business plan, and, and all of that support that we do in our financial empowerment centers. And of course, we want to look at health. You know, when, when um, Councilman McDuffie was, was sharing his statistics, we typically tend to think of this Washington region, and Dr. Perry did so as well, as being very affluent and, and, and very, you know, and not very much need. Six of the top 10 highest earning incomes are in this area. It's known to have low unemployment. Certainly, uh, there are high-paying jobs that are here. But for those who can't access those services, the gap is phenomenal. And so what we choose to do as your United Way is to try to bridge that gap using data-driven, evidence-based programming to ensure that we're meeting the needs of our citizens where they are and to then be able to look back and say that we've had the impact that we intended to have. And we do that in partnership with the public-private sector and certainly even with our fellow funders that are a part of this larger community. I'll end with just saying that the work continues. We still find ourselves in this crisis. We are partnering with the faith-based community around what we call Choose Healthy Life, uh, where we are looking to bring the services of making certain that many of our African-American predominantly communities who have a hesitancy and understanding and certainly accepting science and what it can mean to help them understand that while we may be disproportionately impacted with the health um, outcomes that tend to bear from this crisis and we are dying at a larger number, we want to ensure that we go to trusted advisors and make certain that we're able to share this information in an environment that is not only trusted but accepted and then inspires our community to act. And so we're continuing to do that to not only bring the testing to bear, but also now as vaccinations become more available to encourage our community to take advantage of them. So I thank you again, Deputy Mayor. Look forward to the conversation with the great uh, panelists that I have here. I guess I'm the lone lady having to hold it down, but it's okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ready and, and looking forward to it. So thank you again for the time.
you may be the only lady, but you are unmatched uh, on this panel. I will tell you that. Uh, and to evidence that, I'm going to bring in Corey Griffin uh, to the conversation. Uh, Corey, uh, you've been uh, doing work as a business person, but then you launched uh, the Greater Washington Black Chamber of Commerce. Tell us about how that's been going and uh, how uh, folks can get involved as well. Great. Thank you, uh, Deputy Mayor. I want to uh, greet the mayor as well and then uh, Councilmember McDuffie for all of his great work. Dr. Perry, um, you're amazing. I have a, a slight disagreement with you. I'm, and you brought a prop, and I brought one too, because we support uh, local black business here in the District of Columbia. So um, let me start by saying this. We started the Greater Washington Black Chamber in July of 2019. And really, it was born out of this urgency to focus on the, the, the state of black business in the District of Columbia. Uh, we see prosperity, uh, notwithstanding COVID. We had a booming economy, and we saw the demographics shifting and changing, which for our membership means that there can be both positive impact to business and, in some cases, negative impact. We saw what happened on H Street with many of our Black-owned businesses, uh, the demographic shift, uh, consumer attitudes change or, or evolve, perhaps, um, with those changes. And we were hearing from many, many entrepreneurs like myself um, that there needed to be a particular concern around the state of black business. So we launched right away. Now, I've spent most of my professional career uh, in other places, not as an entrepreneur. Um, I spent 15 years at Microsoft. I spent a few years in the Obama administration. Really, um, and in all of that work, uh, while it was not my primary role, I have been focused on this issue of making certain that uh, black and brown and women-owned businesses have an opportunity to be engaged. And so we did that. Uh, we brought that spirit with us to, to launch the Greater Washington Black Chamber of Commerce. Now, I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not going to be able to match Dr. Perry's uh, academician uh, approach to the data, uh, but we have data as well. And we know that uh, eight out of 10 black businesses uh, fail within about 18 months. Can you imagine that COVID has actually exacerbated that. It's hard to imagine um, that there could be even further damage to the community uh, around black business. We are fortunate that we are here to try to focus on uh, networking, bringing the black business community together to help facilitate engagement with each other um, and with other opportunities in the private sector and in the, in the government sector. We are also here to help with advocacy. We focus a great deal in with working with the government to support legislation and the laws that help promote, in general, a healthy business and climate. We work with partners like the Federal City Council, the D.C. Chamber of Commerce, the Greater Hispanic, Washington Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, but other business concern as well. And, and so we understand the need to respond, but we also know well enough that there is a particular concern to pay attention to around the health and wellness of black women. So we do that. Uh, we also are driven by the need to focus on the access to capital issues, which for many of our businesses, and Dr. Perry spoke to this, it, we suffer from the, in, the, the, the lack of access to adequate a, uh, equity or, or uh, capital mm -hmm. to be able to fund our businesses. Um, and so oftentimes, even when we do find capital, it costs us a lot more. Um, and we never get quite enough of it. And so those are all things that help to perpetuate the failure of black businesses. 
Um, we start with about a third less of capital than white businesses. Um, and it, it is particularly difficult for our businesses to raise private investment, which leads me to my last and final point in my opening, which is really about the need for the Greater Washington Black Chamber of Commerce and others to partner together, to partner with government, to really mm -hmm. solve these problems in a way that helps us to grow the economy so that we can get to the numbers that Dr. Perry spoke to, so that we can begin to engage around the things that Councilmember McDuffie uh, and his colleagues are working on every day. And so, Deputy Mayor, I appreciate this opportunity to be here. Um, we care deeply about this issue. We're working on it every day. And many of the board members are entrepreneurs ourselves. We know what it takes to start a business. We know what failure looks like. We know what getting up after you fall down. And it is also very difficult for us day to day to manage this because we've got some significant challenges with our constituency. We're committed to it. We look forward to continuing to working with you and the mayor and the city uh, to, to help us have a stronger, more vibrant black business community in the District of Columbia. Well, thank you, Corey. And what we want to do is bring some of our viewers into the conversation as well. So uh, there are some callers that are teed up. Uh, also, if you're on social media and you want to join the conversation, use the hashtag DC Hope on Twitter, uh, or if you're on Facebook as well, or put it into the Facebook uh, chat. Uh, so first up, I uh, want to bring in a caller uh, who has a question for uh, us. It's William in Ward 1. Uh, William, uh, can you hear us? Your line should be open now. Uh, good afternoon, Deputy Mayor. I think this is a very significant and important uh, conversation, and I really appreciate it. Uh, my question is uh, whether or not the council or the mayor is going to propose any form of legislation or policy to address the issues that D.C. residents face in terms of their equity with getting employment opportunities in Washington, D.C. As you are aware, that many of our Maryland and Virginia residents have opportunities that are abound in the district. Seventy-five percent of the hospital workers do not live in dis the district. Many of our police officers don't live in the district. So my question is, what policies or legislation are you, is the mayor or the council planning to introduce this year or next year to address this equity issue? No, it's a really important question. I'm going to go to Councilman McDuffie because I know he's doing some work on this. Uh, but when you think about some of the hiring that we've done, uh, even in the course of the pandemic, uh, so as you might know, uh, we hired uh, uh, about 700 people for the D.C. Contract Trace Force, uh, and when we did that, uh, it was uh, literally all of the contact tracers are D.C. residents. Uh, we were able to do that because D.C. does have, uh, D.C. government has a resident preference. Uh, and so we were able to do that uh, and execute that in a short amount of time. Uh, that's just one example. Uh, and we have to do more for it. Uh, we tighten it up with some of the work that Tim was talking about in terms of when we do developments to make sure that we have tight first source agreements. Uh, so that D.C. residents are hired onto those projects, so that it's not just the development team, but also the people who bring about the development as well, because uh, we don't want to just develop uh, our land. We want to build community. Uh, and so that's some of the work that we're doing at DEMPED. Uh, but I know this is also something that Councilman McDuffie has worked on as well, so I want to turn to him and bring him into the conversation. Thank you for that, uh, John. And thank you for the question, William. Uh, uh, a few things. Um, I First, just making sure that as we look at uh, incentives that the government provides to attract businesses, making sure that uh, we are holding them accountable for any of the hiring requirements that exist in those types of agreements. I think it's extraordinarily important uh, that we look at traditionally how we've done 
uh, certain types of tax incentives and other things uh, to make sure that the outcomes uh, align with those same values that the community and people like William uh, are advocating for uh, when we uh, are really trying to seek those types of partnerships or bring those types of businesses to the District of Columbia. Secondly, uh, I'd say that we need to make sure that we are, are looking at just other ways to uh, really push uh, the private sector as well. Every every uh, thing that we do to try to grow businesses and support hiring in the District of Columbia doesn't necessarily have to be uh, government involved. Uh, I think about the partnership recently between the Washington Interface Network and PEPCO, uh, where they expanded efforts to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, in in hiring looking at some of the projects that they're working on uh, is something that is just another example where I think that we should be pushing, and, and particularly me, I hold myself accountable as chair of the Committee on Business and Economic Development to, to make sure that we're asking these types of questions when we have oversight, when we're engaging these types of uh, larger corporations uh, to see what types of things they're doing to hire. I think I want to push more uh, on some of these uh, companies, the types of board makeup, the people who are in decision-making roles. I think about Rosie, uh, and, and all the great work that she's done at Fannie Mae, uh, you know, the work that she's doing now. Uh, but, but the roles of people like Rosie and others on boards of these types of companies is extraordinarily important. Uh, and so making sure that we are pushing in that area. And then, you know, I think uh, the point that Dr. Perry and, and Corey made earlier, we need to look at minority-owned businesses and really supporting greater opportunities to grow existing businesses, particularly those that demonstrate a capacity to scale up and hire more people, but also supporting additional uh, uh, entrepreneurship and the creation of uh, businesses owned by black and brown people in the District of Columbia. Because guess what? And, and, and Dr. Perry has these numbers and knows better than most that if you really want to address some of the uh, unemployment problems that we're seeing in uh, communities of color across the district, uh, then it's likely to be those minority-owned businesses who are going to hire those folks. And so uh, we've got to demonstrate a greater support and, and investment uh, in minority-owned businesses in the District of Columbia, which is why uh, I think it's really important to support the institutions like minority-owned banks, CDFIs, uh, and others that are, are uh, allowing uh, capital to businesses as well. And so uh, those are just a few things that, that I think I would, I would mention to respond to, to William's question. No, can I just add, um, yeah, yeah, can I just add, definitely. yeah, and I think um, the question should be not so much how can we hire D.C. folks, but how, why we should develop all communities in our, in, a, in, in the city, because um, when you do that, you can see that spatially you need equity as well. This is not just about racial equity. This is about making sure that folks, um, in Southeast can get access to jobs. And so for me, it's about saying, hey, do we want neighborhoods to develop the way they should develop, um, or do we want general productivity? I choose community because ultimately if, if our entire community, all the communities are thriving, then the entire region thrives. And so we need to do a much better job of saying, hey, we need to develop places where black people are underrepresented. And we, we clearly see that seventh and eighth ward are 
are underrepresented in so many areas. So we need to target our, our, our initiatives to make sure there's um, representation in those places. Deputy Mayor, may I, may I chime in just a bit? I, I would like to add that I think we have to also be very intentional about those design models. You know, so progress, yes, um, we've, we've witnessed that. And I think some of the challenge is that when we see, see growth in a community, there's oftentimes displacement, physical displacement, but there's also this, this uh, cultural displacement. And so mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would challenge us to think about how we grow communities with intentionality to make certain that those communities of color that have been there, that need to rely on a thriving constituency and community of commerce, that we really think about how to do that and not just have buildings erected around communities that ultimately suffer the black-owned dry cleaner or the black or the barbershop, right? Because they no longer can exist there because of the, sometimes the physical displacement that happens but then also it begins to erode at the cultural um, uh, frameworks that are in these communities. So I, I know we think about all of this stuff in the context of equity and the prosperity that we're seeing in the city. I think we need to take a step back as we are sort of in the middle of all of this and really be thoughtful about how we design it such that um, those communities um, coexist with growth uh, and thrive and grow with growth and not be suffered, their revenues be diminished because uh, we've seen it. We've seen it in these corridors, Rhode Island Avenue. We've seen black-owned barbershops that were there for 40 or 50 years just go away because there's not enough community there any longer to support them. So I would really compel us to think about ways uh, with government and with the chamber and other partners really think about how we might co-design intentionality into our uh, progress plans in the city. Rosie, did you? Um, just, just very briefly, just to say, you know, uh, I appreciate what Mr. Griffin is saying, and he's absolutely right. We have to be intentional. Uh, and when we look at, you know, displacement, that generally comes because many of our, you know, those in our community don't quite know how to access those resources that allow them to be successful where they are. As, a, as a, an alumna of Howard University, and I look at LaDroit Park and what has occurred in LaDroit Park, and as a Fannie Mae exec at the time, we saw, you know, gentrification is not a bad word unless you make it a bad word. You know, um, um, no, you know, city or municipality can live without a tax base. We know we need that. But it's also a matter of looking at equitably. And when I think of equity, it's not just race. We talk about it from a race standpoint, but, you know, equity is about thought, gender, and perspective. And it's about bringing all of those to the table to ensure that we're looking across. It certainly is an equality, which, you know, I've had several conversations uh, around correcting that, that thought, and I'm sure Dr. Perry probably corrects them every day on what the difference is between equality and certainly what, what equity is. But I would say when we look at where we are as, an, as a region uh, and knowing all of the assets that we have in our midst and dispelling a lot of the myths that are here about what Washington is or is not. It is not simply a political town. There are people who live here. Uh, I've lived here now since, you know, I won't say how long because then I'll tell you how old I am, but I, but I will tell you I've been here long enough and I've never been a quote-unquote federal government employee. So everybody doesn't work for the federal government in Washington. It doesn't, the city doesn't empty out every four years. There are people who have made their lives here in second and third generations uh, who have been here that we have to ensure 
that we're looking at the space that they've created culturally for us uh, that allows us to come here and take advantage of all that we see. So it is absolutely something that is incumbent upon us. It's something that we have to look at um, with the lens of not just, you know, again, racial, but it's really looking at it across all of those spectrums. And I think when we comprehensively look at it, uh, we know that there is so much more that needs to be done. Well, and Dr. Perry, we had a question on Facebook uh, that came in from Angela, and she talked about before this period of gentrification that the district experienced, it just seemed like and it felt like and it was that more black businesses existed. So how has that, and uh, Rosie brought up gentrification, how has gentrification had an impact on the number of black businesses in D.C.? Yeah, most um, businesses are started using the the individual wealth um, of families. It, I mean, it's, it's not even close. Only um, 1% of black businesses actually are founded using a loan. Now, that's because um, when home ownership drops, we see less collateral. Less collateral means less loan. Less collateral means less equity to start your business. You know, that devaluation metric I, I shared at the beginning, that $156 billion in lost equity um, from black neighborhoods across the country would have financed more than 4 million black-owned businesses based on the average amount blacks use to start up businesses and would have financed more than 8 million four-year degrees based upon the um, average amount of a public four-year education. So I, I say that to say that we also need to remove the drag of racism from our city. Um, it, it is clear that we have talent. It is clear that we have businesses that can scale, but we're not seeing the investment largely because of perceptions of those uh, firms. Um, I did another study where we scraped all the Yelp data uh, across um, from businesses across the country. And what we found is that black, brown, and Asian businesses score higher on Yelp than their white counterparts in, in the aggregate. Meaning, and you used to hear our elders say this all the time, our ice is just as cold. Because they knew that if you distort the market in a way where you're not going to quality, High-quality businesses are forced to compete with low-quality businesses, and revenue um, 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 is depressed also. And so we need to see those investment dollars, more customers. And by the way, actually, in, <laughs> this, is, this goes to show you that people essentially avoid black people um, and, 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 in essence, avoid quality. Some restaurants, um, went up in revenue because they, instead of going to uh, the Jamaican uh, jerk chicken spot, they can order out, and they got that, that, that food delivered. So we need to also recognize that it's bias that's hurting black communities. I, I say this all the time. There's, there's nothing wrong with black people that ending racism can't solve. At the end of the day, we have the talent. We have firms. We need the investment. So the, the, we need to leverage government as much as possible to make sure those investments uh, uh, go. We need to have um, a larger private firms recognize the talent that's there. Um, but 
we can't keep saying um, what's wrong with black people. Why can't they catch up? That's, that just doesn't fly um, w- w- when you look at the data. Well, really uh, interesting that you brought up uh, the uh, where people go to start a business. Also, where people go to borrow to pay for college is another uh, topic we've discussed before. Actually, last um, last February, uh, when we were actually able all to gather, uh, we did an event at the Howard Theater uh, with a group that uh, is called Undesign the Red Line, uh, where we talked about the racist policy uh, that uh, permeated uh, the nation, but also the District of Columbia. Uh, and how that has uh, caused the lack of property values uh, and the associated equity that families earned uh, from that uh, uh, property values in order to send uh, generations of uh, their children to college. So it's something that we have to work on and so important that we focus on housing uh, as one of the things that uh, will drive uh, equity forward. The other one uh, is uh, creating opportunity uh, in all of our neighborhoods. So one of the initiatives Mayor Bowser has is to actually uh, move our lease space for government uh, east of the river so that we create more economic vitality uh, in Ward 7 and 8. Uh, but I know that, uh, uh, Councilman McDuffie, you've been working on uh, two things that you mentioned, uh, the anchor program uh, and the disparity study. A lot of times when people hear the word study, uh, they think it's something, no offense, Dr. Perry, uh, that goes and gets shelved. How is the disparity study a, an action more than just a study? Uh, I appreciate the question, uh, Deputy Mayor. Uh, it, the disparity study is incredibly important. Uh, just a, a quick history. The District of Columbia used to have an, an MBE program, a minority business enterprise program. Uh, there was a lawsuit uh, in around 1992 or so. The, uh, the court overturned uh, the program that we had, and, and, and the, it resulted in the current uh, CBE program that the District of Columbia has, Certified Business Enterprise Program, which is race and gender neutral. And the disparity study is necessary, and actually the factual predicate that you need to uh, withstand judicial scrutiny uh, with trying to do an MBE program. I would like the district to move back to having a minority business enterprise program, and before you can do so, uh, uh, one of the necessary things you need is a disparity study that uh, describes the conditions and whether uh, there is uh, an environment that is right for the district to identify race as a factor in having a sheltered market when it comes to procurement opportunities. And so uh, that, that was funded. We did that in the budget uh, this year. We did it last summer for the budget in FY 2021. And, and, and hopefully uh, there'll be a contract identified soon to, to, to make that work uh, get underway. I'll tell you the, the other thing you, you, you mentioned, um, uh, or maybe you didn't mention it, but it's incredibly important that you have that disparity study so that you can have more opportunities for minority owned businesses, women owned businesses in the District of Columbia who historically have not had the same, uh, access to capital and the ability to really, uh, start a business. And if you're fortunate to start a business, to grow that business and expand that business and hire more people. And so uh, I'm focused like a laser on, on ensuring that that happens uh, for all the reasons that you all have described a little earlier. I do want to say, you know, one thing, and, and, and hopefully this will be received uh, well with the intention that, that I, I, I say it. Uh, and I'm, 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 
I've heard a, a couple times that, that, you know, this is more than about race or, or racial equity. And, and obviously um, that can be true. I want to caution us, though, from maybe moving this to a more general discussion about economic equity or economic inclusion. I talk about race, and I'm intentional about talking about race because of the complex history of slavery, Jim Crow, um, you know, sharecropping, white affirmative action, to be clear, redlining we talked about, job discrimination, all that stuff, you know, in some cases was blatant, but more recently is insidious enough where people don't, some cases don't think it still exists or don't understand how it continues to extract value from communities of color. And so we have to call out race because when you look at the numbers that we've been talking about, the, the, the stark racial disparities that exist right here in our city, the, the common factor that weaves itself through all of those data points is race. And, and, and I would challenge folks to show me where black people aren't on the bottom of all those indicators of success. Uh, and so I, I want to just sort of toss that out there because I think it's important not to dilute conversations about achieving racial equity by talking about diversity uh, and other initiatives that I think over the years have proven to be unsuccessful in closing the disparities that have persisted for so long. And if I could just add just very quickly that I agree with um, Councilman McDuffie um, in that regard and going back to the study and the um, um, usefulness of studies, a, a, um, a disparity report becomes a lot more relevant when we have people demanding that it's relevant. And so I'm a researcher. I, I love writing. That's what I do. Um, we also need folks to stand up um, so that it makes our work all that much easier when we're presenting the data. And so we need to present to communities who are demanding change, and we need to speak truth to power when it needs to happen. And so over the last, um, over the course of almost a year now, since, um, um, since COVID has really set in, we've seen an uprising of sorts, and it's made our work that much easier. Um, it's hard work regardless, but we need the facts. We need to act on the data. But Councilman McDuffie is absolutely right. We see the racism. We know it's there. It's not something of the past that is dead and gone. Um, and so we need to hit it head on, the, both the past and the present, so that we can actually have the kind of communities that we know we can have. You know, uh, Dr. King in his final speech talked about we needed a bank-in movement. Mm -hmm. uh, we see that even in the pandemic, uh, when the federal government announced the PPP program, uh, that black businesses were not uh, given uh, loans. Uh, it's a forgivable loan program. At the same rate, I see Rosie shaking her head oh, yeah. um, to jump into the conversation here. There is more work to do, and we see the inequities uh, even during the pandemic. So, Rosie, I'll turn to you. No, I, I, I just want to, you know, go back to what Dr. Perry was sharing when he talked about the data. You're absolutely right. The pandemic simply exacerbated what was already the challenge. I think that we can all agree that when it came to systemic racism 
and what we saw happening with, with, with the pandemic, we were really dealing with two pandemics. We were dealing with the pandemic of COVID and we were dealing with the pandemic of systemic racism rearing its ugly head as it has year after year after year in certain situations, but we have somehow chosen to live and try to get beyond them, but they always have a name. And, and this particular year in 2020, it was George Floyd. It was Ahmaud Aubrey. It was Breonna Taylor. And so what we have to make certain that we look at with Dr. Ta- with Dr. Perry sharing is the data. Because for those who choose to, as Council Member McDuffie was saying, who choose to sort of kind of dilute it, then they will certainly not look at it by the numbers because the numbers will always tell you where you need to be. And when you look at the data, for us at Your United Way, we are data-driven. We are evidence-based. And when we look at some of the, the statistics that have come our way, we too do, st- do studies. And one of ours is what we call the ALICE um, project. And ALICE is simply an acronym that stands for Asset Limited, Income Constrained, but Employed. And these are many of our, our neighbors, our colleagues who are simply going to work every day, but because we happen to live in an area uh, that is high cost, we find that they are disproportionately not able to be able to access services, to be able to own homes, to be able to get affordable housing, no matter what you look for, where you look for it, and they're moving further and further away. And so it's about looking at what the data tells us. The data is going to tell you, no matter what the data point is, that African-Americans are disproportionately impacted negatively on every statistic. And so if you're going to go where the need says you need to be, if you're going to do the work that you know is going to ultimately be impactful, you don't have a choice but to acknowledge that the racism is there, the disparity is there, it's institutional, it's long-suffering, and we have an opportunity now to face it head on and be able to actually do something about it. So I'm excited about this conversation, quite honestly. Look forward to where it goes even beyond today and, um, and know that absolutely it is possible that we are able to move the needle on these challenges, on some of the toughest challenges uh, that are facing our, our region uh, writ large. So thank you again. Absolutely. Corey, final thought? Yeah, I was just, uh, thank you, Deputy Mayor. I was actually um, thinking around on the internet and I found a, a, an article uh, written in 1996, and it was actually um, penned by Tucker Carlson, of all, all folks. Um, he writes in this piece that um, from the turn of the century to 1968, Washington, D.C. had the largest black professional community in the United States. And in 1920, there were 40 blocks where you could find a concentration of 300 black businesses. I would submit to you today that we couldn't canvas this entire city and get to the number of 300. We just have a challenge in this area, and I think that when you think about the history, because this is, today is about celebrating the black history, right? Mm-hmm. And so in the context of the business, I think we've got so much work to do. Um, and this is a great opportunity, this uh, forum, the others, the focus that the city and the council has had on this issue is making it possible for us to really identify the problems, the challenges, mm-hmm. working with our partners and nonprofit partners to really change that um, and really get back to the sense of uh, entrepreneurship that so many black folks in this country had uh, mid-century and, and, and perhaps earlier. But we need to get back to that. We know that those things help to, to change and transform communities around the things, the other things that we care about, public safety, mm-hmm. um, wealth, those things. This is how you close it. We fundamentally believe that as a chamber, 
Um, and we'd love to be able to work with the city to try to close that gap uh, and again, thrive. We wanna, wanna work with the city across the, uh, uh, work with the mayor and deputy mayor across the city to make that change. Fantastic. Uh, Dr. Perry, final thought? No, I, I just wanted to thank everyone and who's um, involved in this event. Let's continue to keep working. I also want to say, again, happy Mardi Gras to all the folks out there um, who are from the Caribbean or live in New Orleans or in, in the Gulf region, uh, grew up there, happy Mardi Gras. Uh, but I, and I say this all the time, that there's nothing wrong with black people that ending racism can't solve. We have the businesses that can scale. We have the talent. We don't have the investment. And, and for us, it's about the investment. So I'll be interested in, in working with city council moving forward to see how we can capitalize these incredible businesses all across the city. Um, because um, it was stated earlier, we have a history of doing business. But there's also a history of racism that eliminates those businesses. And so we need to squelch those efforts to throttle black um, growth um, because it's really hurting everyone at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And uh, Councilman McDuffie? Sure. Uh, let me just, end by, again, thanking Mayor Bowser and thanking you, Deputy Mayor Fajicchio, and all the, the folks who are, who are a part of this. Uh, discussion. I think this is a great discussion. Uh, look, I, I see this as, a, as, as an opportunity cause and that we will miss if we aren't more intentional with our policies uh, in making that investment that Dr. Perry just talked about and that, you know, Rosie and Corey talked about and, and others. Um, the numbers are, are there. The data is clear. You know, uh, according to the income of black residents in the district increased by 175% chief social equity. That will result in a 65% gain in GDP in BC. And that will be the highest in any state in the nation, right? So we're talking about opportunity costs. Ultimately, though, our, our government must deliver an equitable recovery that isn't just a return to normal after this pandemic. For residents who've been left behind, they need to see that investment and be able to feel and touch it and know. Uh, that the city uh, is thinking about them. Investing in, in black and brown communities isn't just the morally essential thing to do. It's also good economics, as I just talked about. And so I want to really emphasize uh, that racial equity and economic inclusion aren't zero-sum gains. Um, empowering these underserved communities and, and investing in black businesses uh, doesn't just benefit those communities of color. It benefits all district residents, all district residents across the city, and that's important for everybody to know. And so uh, I've appreciated this conversation again, and I'll leave everybody with just uh, words of a, a, a wise man and, and really learned uh, a person, and that is the, the words of Dr. Andre Perry, who said, accounting for historical discrimination doesn't throttle white people's economic mobility. By becoming more inclusive, we can increase the size of the proverbial pie. And we've got to get to that point in the District of Columbia where we're increasing the size of the proverbial pie and including more people uh, in our future economic growth. And so thank you again uh, for this opportunity. I think this is a great discussion. Oh, thank you, Councilmember. And uh, uh, Dr. Perry was shaking his head and agreeing with that. And <laughs> yeah. it is a good one. I think we've got to get that up on our website or put it out on social. Uh, it's a good one for to leave the conversation with. I want to bring in uh, Tim White for a final thought, and then I'll do some housekeeping items as well.
How do I, how do I follow a quote like that? <laughs> but I'll say this. I follow it with a challenge. I know the folks here on this panel and the work that we do, we have um, – we get to we get to focus on this every day. Uh, 2020, for better or for worse, definitely moved the needle on having this conversation more than just the shortest month of the year. And so I want to challenge everyone that is listening here to continue to have this conversation once we get to March 1st. Absolutely. Thank you, Tim, and thank you to everybody uh, on the panel who joined us. Thank you for those who joined us uh, online, who joined us on Channel 16 or on the phone line. Uh, just a couple items uh, for uh, the business owners who are watching. Uh, we have uh, another round of PPE available, so uh, masks, disinfectants, wipes. Uh, Mayor Bowser has made another uh, $2 million of that available in uh, product. Uh, and you could actually learn more about how you can get uh, that valuable, that needed uh, PPE and uh, those supplies by going to coronavirus.dc.gov slash phase two. Uh, if you go to that site, you can find out how you could pick it up uh, this Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. Uh, you got to sign up in order to pick it up, but it'll be available at the convention center uh, and at uh, Mapleview Flats in Anacostia. Uh, so those are two locations where you get that PPE, but be sure to sign up at coronavirus.dc.gov slash phase two. Also, uh, it is budget season, uh, believe it or not. And so in order to advance this conversation uh, to Dr. Perry's point for people to demand uh, that we address equity, we have the budget engagement forums coming up. Uh, if you go to uh, the mayor.dc.gov website, you'll be able to sign up for the virtual budget engagement forums on Thursday evening uh, at 6 p.m. and on Saturday uh, morning as well. So please check out uh, the links at mayor.dc.gov in order to sign up uh, for the budget engagement forums and to talk about what your priorities are for the next budget. Uh, with that, we ran over on time today. Uh, that's entirely fine uh, because we had a lot of important items to talk about, a lot of important discussion. So I just want to thank our panelists for hanging in with us, and we'll see you again next week.